Good afternoon. You're listening to Local Media This Week here on Scarroth Bay Community Radio. You're very, very welcome this Sunday afternoon. I'm, my name is Jim Collins and I'm joined here by most of our regular panel. So we have uh, John S. Kelly. John, good afternoon. Afternoon, Jim. And Pat O'Brien. Pat, you're welcome again. Thanks, Jim. And we have, uh, standing in for, for David, uh, we have Luke Fleming. Luke, you're welcome. Hi, Jim. How are you? And today we have a guest. Um, we've had him before, but a very special guest uh, to join us here on local media this week. And that is Parik McMahon from the Clare Echo. Parik, you're very, very welcome to local media this week here on Scarif Bay Community Radio. Welcome back. Thanks, Jim. Great to be talking to you again. Anyway, even though you're not in person with us uh, today, but uh, hopefully it won't be too long before you're, you're back around the table again. Uh, yeah, no, I look, look forward to that. We had, reading in last week's Clare Echo Park, we saw a, a new idea which the Clare Echo have come up with involving a, a subscription uh, for premium content. You might, um, you might tell us, first of all, what's, what's that about? Yeah, it's a uh, it's a new venture, as you say. I think we're one of the the first, definitely one of the first free newspapers to, to bring in a paid for version online. Which um, it's it's a new development, and basically the the concept and the principle is just to promote um, quality journalism a bit more and to get the public to to maybe invest in in quality journalism where possible. So it's it's a new subscription service where members of the public, whether they're in Clare or any county in Ireland or even the Clare people abroad can subscribe the the current offer at the minute is, is to sign up for 75 cents a week um you know and i think that's probably going to increase now so the the encouragement would be for people to maybe get in early and try avail at the discount but um there'll be um you know a set amount of articles per week will be put up behind a paywall basically so the subscribers that subscribe to the Claire echoes premium content will be able to get full access to to these articles that maybe the ordinary public won't be able to get access to so it's basically anything that's that's billed or labelled as premium content is is going to be in-depth journalism or exclusive interviews with people that um, maybe we, we feel are, are worth putting a price tag on and we're, we're not saying anything that's free in the paper isn't isn't of a good quality, but it's just maybe to try. Um, it's, a, it's a new direction and, and the online is the way it seems, things seem to be going. And we've always said in the clear echo that the trends would suggest people aren't buying newspapers whereas subscription models seem to be working so it's it's more of a future exercise that we're going for i know and tell me okay the let's say the ordinary punter who doesn't subscribe to the premium service will get a still get a certain amount of limited uh, information and news on the on the we'll call it the free part am i right in that yeah yeah um we'll still be trying to be as active as we can online as as we've been um but there'll be like we could put six articles up a day maybe one or two of them might be behind the paywall so it's yeah. just maybe what's a bit more in depth um that you won't find anywhere else um whereas the stories that maybe other people are aware of will won't be behind the paywall but it, it's not going to be totally backlogged by a paywall online but it's just going to be um, maybe a selection of stuff that sh- that are exclusive to the clerical. And how does the premium service, let's say, compare with what's going to be in the in the newspaper, in the newspaper which is free in the shops? Yeah, like there'll be some sections there. So in the two weeks to date, we've included two articles that have already been on, been on the paywall. So they've been articles by Stuart Holly, the editor of the newspaper. So he interviewed Tony Griffin, and then he's an article this week on inflation. In clear so basically what we did with those two articles we included a snippet of what was in the the subscription article basically so a smaller version so um there there are bits and pieces then that are in this week's paper that haven't went online yet that will be behind the paywall because there's um thankfully there's there's a high demand for people to get get their hands on the paper and we circulate about sixteen thousand in clear but there's there's some people that they don't they're not in they're gone from the shops by the time they get them so um you know, it's, it's probably going to encourage people to get their hands on the paper as quick as they can as well, because they there will be some duplication, but not not too much. But maybe some articles, like one or two of the the articles on in his hospital this week, or um, the front page story for argument's sake, is is going to be behind a paywall too. Yes. Okay. And tell me, how does the the reader um, access the paywall? How do we organise it and set it up in the first place? 
yeah so it's you just head onto our website clearecho.e forward slash subscribe and or even if you can if you have this week's paper handy you can just open page 25 and open the camera on your smartphone and scan the qr code and that'll bring you straight straight to the the subscription page and um all going well then you you should get an email of confirmation once um the subscription has gone through um and there's also going to be it hasn't been progressed yet but as, as far as i know it's part of the plans that there'll be tailored newsletter content to to what you you're interested in if you do subscribe so if you're into business you could get you know particular business interest articles into you and you know it's just it's um, a new direction for us in the paper and it's just to try maybe add an additional revenue stream and, and to encourage people to to invest in journalism and to you know put their hand in their pocket where I possible know. okay well Parik, we wish you the best of luck with uh, the news service going forward and hopefully uh, it's it will be extremely successful for what is already uh, an excellent publication so well done on that thanks very much jim yeah the, the initial demand hit so far we're, we're, we're quite positive which it's up less than two weeks and we're as i'm speaking to you we're close to about 60 subscribers so that's that's positive and I know management are kind of talking about targets, but they've been they've been surprised so far with the initial uh, uptake, which which is good. So we're 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 thankful with, for that, and we're thankful for the, the opportunity to speak about it on Scarf Bay as well. Okay, Parik, thank you very much for that. Well, we'll go on again and talk about uh, some of the various things that are in the newspapers this week. Looking at the at the Clare Echo, I see on the front page council bullying claims made by Dooley in the Senate, and uh, that's Senator Timmy Dooley, Senator Timmy Dooley, a native of Mount Shannon, resident in Tulla, and uh, he's talking about a bullying situation which existed in Clare County Council and wasn't um, followed up on. Absolutely, Jim. I mean, this is shocking. Do you know? I mean, Park, Park you're listening to us. The ex-councillor not held to account for bullying, says Senator Dooley. I mean, does that demand a response from the executive in the County Council, Park? Well, like it was, I, I think you're right, um, Janice. I think, I think there are definitely questions that need to be answered, and you know, it's probably the first article we've done on this particular exact story. It won't be the last. Um, but you know, Clare County Council were commented for for comment about Wednesday morning. They got back to us, um, and while they said they'd no comment on the exact story and the details, they were they were informed of the particular story. They gave you know a response saying they take all instances seriously but um you know i think the fact uh, quite interesting that the debate or the discussion was held during a debate on violence against women and and tell me did you did you interview the lady in question i didn't interview the lady in question no would it be her intention to you to perhaps uh, do so i would hope to speak with possibly the family but the family yeah 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 okay yeah i suppose bullying is something though that that happens in in unpleasant and unacceptable as it is it does happen in places i mean in my previous life and probably in yours too john uh, there was bullying in schools mm-hmm. and, and i mean any school principal would say there's no bullying in my school is is would be ostrich yes because um, there's bullying in every school and yeah i suppose it's it's how it's dealt with mm. i know certainly in the school scenario how it's dealt with is is the key rather mm. than you know you won't stop it happening what, so, when you, what would you, uh, how would you describe uh, the sub-sections of bullying? You know, when, when you use the expression, I was bullied. Yes. Um, what can it cover? Well, it can cover lots of things, but I mean, it's not a once-off, one-off incident. Yeah. It's, it's a, a continuation of specific behaviour where one person is being victimised by another. Mm. Um, I mean, the, the cure for it then, you, you have to remember, particularly in a school situation, everybody has to live together afterwards. Yes. And that demands a particular skill set in dealing with bullying, particularly in schools. Mm. I suppose in the workplace, it's quite the same, yeah. you know. And, yeah. and on an international basis, it's called invading uh, the Ukraine. Yes. Yeah. And, and we notice that isn't covered in any of the papers um, that we have in front of us. <laughs> but. Uh, 
definitely uh, after you went to print pork i'd say was yes. it yeah no we didn't have uh, knowledge from russia's invasion uh, yeah, at the time yeah. I to print. but but uh, it's really that is another aspect of bullying you know and on a grand scale I, yeah the high level yeah i, I would think the definition of bullying has probably changed dramatically with the advent of social media and uh, Porik, I suppose you, you could allude to that to a certain way. I'd, I'd say even you know from the way that we say meetings that you attend, and you know sometimes you have people bursting in the door, sort of with a camera in the air, and sort of you know <laughs> broadcasting <laughs> something live yeah. on Facebook, and yeah. that could be deemed as bullying as well. You know, but yeah. y- younger people, especially you know, with the pressures of social media yeah. on them as well. Mm. You're quite right, Luke. Yeah. Mm. I'm, just, I'm just wondering, uh, just uh, to ask Parik a question, uh, has there been, we, we discussed this in general terms last week and the week before we talked about Ireland, is Ireland neutral and what does neutrality mean if it is? And uh, the whole question of Shannon and uh, using Shannon for, let's say, the American forces going to and from wherever they're going. I'm just wondering, has there been uh, an increase recently, do you would you know, in Shannon, in, in flights, in US flights, particularly with them beefing up their um, their strength in Eastern Europe? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's been in within the past fortnight anyway, we, we published a story on, on the topic saying that there had been a considerable increase and that's from speaking with um, residents of Shannon and surrounding areas that have noticed it and, and, and sources in Shannon Airport, whereas um, interestingly enough, I contact multiple departments, the Department of Defence, Department of Foreign Affairs and the Department of Transport just to get comment, whereas, funnily enough, the Department of Defence put me onto the Department of Foreign Affairs, they said it was a matter for them, whereas the Department of Foreign Affairs said it was a matter for the Department of Transport, so yeah. Um, yeah. they're kind of, but there has been a considerable increase in the activity, whereas the reactions of that story um, was kind of mixed, that people are saying should Ireland be neutral, and then there's people arguing that Shannon Airport would be would be non-existent if it didn't have the US military. Yeah. Um, it's a matter of interest. Uh, I, I was talking to Jim before we came in about this, that Britain is part of NATO, right? Stage one. The six counties are under Britain. Mm-hmm. That's stage two. If NATO gets drawn uh, drawn into the conflict and one would be a bit concerned about the possibility of Estonia and Latvia and uh, you know falling under the the shadow of of Putinism okay and if NATO become involved then in a conflict where does that put the neutrality of the island of Ireland or the neutrality for the six counties mm-hmm. Northern Ireland any comments on that lads I suppose that the, the Russians won't they won't, they won't, mind, they won't be checking the border where the border is if they if they if they wanted to come to, to attack Ireland. No, you the island of Ireland would probably be hit. Do you think so? Of course it would, yeah. Well, Donny and uh, the fishermen managed to scare them off the, the, the <laughs> south coast there a few weeks ago, so y- you might be hopeful there could be a few of the lads up in Donegal or over the border that would be encouraging them not to yeah. n- not to uh, uh, c- come our way. But yeah, it's an interesting point. Yeah. Listen, just to move on to a different topic, uh, Pat. Pat, if you were sitting at home now and your wife Maureen said, she's we're expecting visitors. Would you tidy up? Uh, would, you, <laughs> would, you, would you straighten up the place before they'd come? If you got some, well if you got some bit of wind that there was somebody coming. <laughs> I won't, I won't him, yeah. I'd sweep the floor anyway and do a small bit of tidying, would you? Yeah, yeah. And is that a normal human reaction? It is. Even in an institution. Well, we're looking at the, the institution UHL. Yeah. And uh, the some accusations that, uh, that there was a bit of straightening up done. Now the cleaning up wasn't just rubbish, I think it was people uh, and patients. And, and, trolley, and, and trolleys. And, and trolleys. But empty trolleys as well, Jim. They were crowded in the corridor a little bit. Well, sure, I, I'm not sure. Maybe Parik has a, an inside story on that. Yeah, there's um, strong discontent anyway coming in conflicting views that um, Minister for Health Stephen Donnelly visited Midwest last week. Um, he called on Thursday night and was 
stayed overnight and, and visited University Hospital Limerick on Friday morning and then the Croom Primary Care Centre on Friday afternoon didn't cross the county border into Clare. But the accusations that were levelled from hospital staff and from Limerick-based Sinn Féin Senator uh, Paul Gavin was that a tidy-up operation was done in advance of his visit, uh, but Minister Donnelly disputed the fact of a, he categorically denied the allegation for a clean-up being done on he Thursday did. night he did. when he visited because hmm. um, he gave eight to nine minutes notice of, of his visitor, whereas they knew he was coming Friday and, um, you know, it's just health activists that said, what's the point in, in cleaning it up or if if there's a problem, it's, it's serving no one any benefit. I met the Minister in Croom, whereas other journalists met, met him outside University Limerick and didn't speak then, but the, it was hospital staff would have approached them and said that this happened. Um, I don't know how the, if they verified that information or what, but um, there is potential that a clean-up was done on the Friday morning, but um, the, the health, as we know, our, our frontline workers and our healthcare staff are under so much pressure inside in Midwest hospitals with eight to nine minutes notice they wouldn't have been able to do any form of a clean-up on the Thursday night, um, whereas I believe he saw the oncology ward on Friday morning um, and it's, he would have saw the emergency department on the Thursday night as well. He probably would have went back again on the Friday. But um, I'd imagine clean-up or not, he surely is aware of the severe problems that are going on with Midwest, uh, with healthcare in the Midwest. Mm. Park, you have a piece yourself on page 13 of the Clare Reco, and the headline is Donnelly Faces Hospital Dilemma. And I suppose the dilemma is between equipping the UHL and, you know, improving uh, the equipment and the services in the satellite hospitals like Ennis or Nina. Do you want to talk to us about it? Yeah, that's that's the it's nearly the dilemma that has faced Stephen Donnelly and his predecessor Simon Harris and his predecessor. You know, it's since the hospital was downgraded in two thousand and nine, there has seemed to be an issue with overcrowding um, at University Hospital Limerick, and it's um, you know it's a call been put by members of the Midwest Hospital campaign who've held rallies and protests in the intervening years prior to COVID, they haven't been as active since. Um, but it's it's just something that that does continue to be an issue. Um, Minister Danley told us that the regional health authorities, that they had their first meeting in December, he's hopeful that they'll be able to guide them as to what decision can be reached in terms of whether we decide let's, let's give more services to Ennis and Nina or else let's give more staff to Limerick. He also made the comment that the, at the minute, the likes of Ennis, it wouldn't be safe to be pushing patients in there um, if it doesn't have the, the services required. Whereas then, you know, when he spoke about the regional health authorities and maybe this is going to lead to increased positions, I put the question to him, would that mean the likes of the highly paid Department of Health Secretary General, Robert Wash, who's earning, who's going to earn over 300,000 a year at the end of this year, would that impact on his salary? Um, and his response, he, he had said to me he couldn't hear the question yet. I put the same question to him um, at the same volume I spoke with, so I allowed him <laughs> to, to get his thoughts together. But he said it, it wouldn't be impacting on um, Mr. Watt's salary. Yes. Yeah, maybe you weren't speaking clearly enough. Sorry. <laughs> well, it, it could have been the face, Matt. <laughs> I'd say, Park, the problem was you were speaking too clearly. Yeah. <laughs> is that, is that, when you talk about regional, and I was reading that during the week about regional uh, health groups or boards or whatever it is, is that sort of switching the, the clock back to what it was, let's say, in the, around the early 2000s and before that? when you had the Midwestern Health Board and the Western Health Board and all the various. Is it, is it an acknowledgement that the HSE is too big? Well, I, it's hard to know because they're, like obviously you've UL Hospitals Group, which are covering a certain area, but once there's, every, every, there's quarterly meetings, so obviously four times a year of the Regional Health Forum West, which has your a selection of elected representatives from Clare, Galway, Tipperary, and they hold these meetings. So I'm not sure what regional health authorities would do if the problems being presented aren't going to change that's what's being put forward to the regional health forum west um like our white gates pet park is one of the representatives on that along with councillor Killian murphy councillor ann norton councillor bill chambers so they are you know issues for example that they've regularly highlighted and it was in the news again this week is the ambulance wait times in the likes of west there so i think you know you can set up another body and whatever but i think they just need to, again, the dilemma has been there for Minister Donnelly and his predecessors, so they need to actually decide what they're yeah. going to do as opposed to talking about it. Jim, in the final article um, 
by Porik. In the final paragraph of the article by Porik, where, which refers to the hospital, the dilemma, he says, the department, uh, Secretary General of the department, Robert Watt, is to consider taking a pay cut from his salary, which will top 300,000. I have, as a citizen, huge problems with the Secretary General of the uh, department being paid a salary of 300,000. I have a huge problem with that, as a citizen now. Is it a problem shared around the table? Oh yeah, it's a big catastrophe. The headman in the... In, in the Department? In, in England, yeah. is, is way less money. Yeah. So why, 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 should the, why should the headman in Ireland have... Hmm. And the argument maybe that's often used to pay these people outrageous salaries, and I agree with you, yeah. is that um, you're in competition with the private sector and you want a quality person and you won't get them, you'll only get what's left over if you're paying less than, you know, that, that's an argument that's trotted out. I'm not saying it's valid now, but it's, yeah. it's what you do here. What do you think, um, Luke? I think the argument could be made that from politicians to every section of the public sector in this country and I would include people that are involved in semi-state bodies that they're paid way too much at the higher levels. Come, if, you come, if you consider, why should uh, Leo Varadkar or Michal Martin be paid more than the President of the United States? What do you think of that, Boric? Yeah, well, I think just to refer back to the most recent member of Cabinet that has released a book, uh, was Shane Ross, former Transport Minister, and he spoke of the hurdles put in the way by, he called them mandarins, these department officials. Um, again, as you kind of say, they're unelected persons, yet we're giving them this extent of power and wages and salaries that are absolutely astronomical. Yeah, the, tur the turkeys aren't going to vote for Christmas. <laughs> no. no. You, you know? Yeah. Okay, we'll, we'll move on a little bit. Uh, I'm looking at page six in the Clare Echo, uh, Parag. I don't see a name on this one. But um, we're talking about the Shannon Estuary Economic Task Force. Uh, and we've talked here about, you know, the Shannon Estuary and particularly Money Point and uh, the phasing out of coal in Money Point and bringing in, hopefully, uh, offshore windmills. But uh, is this, we were talking here before um, we went on air, Parik, and we were just saying, is this something out of Yes Minister, a task force that will report God knows when? Um, and that we'll have forgotten about by the time it does, if it ever does. That's that's highly likely. It's Ireland in a task force, so the chances are, are highly likely. The, for argument's sake, the, the task force on Money Point, West Clare councillors have told me it's redundant. I don't think it's had more than two meetings. Mm. So now, obviously, there's been a bit more noise made on this one, but the Shannon Estuary task force, last May, at the then he's still tarnished that. Tarnished Ali of Redker said the terms of reference were to be finalised and would be published very shortly. Imminently, I think, was the word to use. Yet it took nine months to actually publish the terms of reference and to great fanfare and, and senators and TDs delighting about it. Um, you know, But not, none of them mentioned that it actually took nine months to do the actual piece. So I wouldn't be overly confident. Um, but with their councillors, again, Possibly an article that's going to appear in, in next week's paper, so you might be getting a head start. That they've said that offshore wind energy and development associated with that is the greatest opportunity West Clare has ever had. But sure, why, why are we finding? We've been talking about it, Boric, here month after month, haven't we? Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, we especially our our ire was raised by the the fact that DSB. Uh, lost out on the partnership with the Norwegian uh, Telenor. Remember that, Telenor. Okay. Now, are we going to see action, do you think? Anybody? Well, John, this, this, this test force, members of the test force will be carrying out their role on an unpaid basis, except, except for travel expenses. The membership will be selected through an open expression of interest process, which will include the position of chair of the test force. The task force will also be supported by senior officials from the department, from the government departments and agencies. Additional experts may be invited to attend meetings of the task force. So that's 
just, yeah. just the way it is. So, yeah. which, is a, which is a kind of a voluntary, a voluntary basis, really. It doesn't inspire confidence it's that just, something is going no. to happen. But it's an ideal, Jim, it's an ideal opportunity for mm. any of our local TDs, our aspiring TDs, to latch on to a topic that will have tremendous support at, co at county and at national level. Am I right or wrong? Yeah, it's abs absolutely right, John. I mean, it has fantastic potential. And as you say, we've spoken about it here month after month. Mm. But um, hopefully we'll see something happen. And just, I see Shannon Airport uh, is getting a new flight as well. To I think it already is going to Barcelona, but now um, it's, a, it's an airport north of Barcelona, which I have flown into, Girona. And, and that's welcome because Barcelona is a great uh, destination. Um, and that's good news, I suppose, for Shannon. And we're just looking, um, maybe Parik might answer this one, actually. We had talked before. I think it was Cahal Crow TD had been pushing this uh, very much, maybe going back a year ago or so. And I know we had him on Saturday Chronicle talking about it. But I haven't heard anything about it since. And that's the development of an air cargo hub in Shannon. Um, you know, in addition, obviously, to the passenger numbers. Have, Parik, I'm just wondering, have you heard anything about that recently? No, there's been there's been no no update at all on the, on the airport. Ergo, I think that was maybe just a bit of um, potential flying of kites by <laughs> Deputy Crow, but um, hasn't been. But I suppose the question maybe is, have Shannon Airport responded to comments from Scarif Bay to do an interview? No, but they haven't. <laughs> they and haven't. We, asked, they we, haven't we have indeed. They yeah. haven't responded to emails or uh, phone calls. Hmm. So um, it's I, I think a strongly worded letter is in, yeah. is in order. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Pornick, there there has been some research going on uh, in relation to uh, developing an air taxi uh, business out of Shannon, and then there is the uh, application from the Shannon Group to build an air cargo hub. Now that is one that we certainly uh, indicated as being worth consideration well over a year and a half ago. Right Jim? Yeah. The hub, yeah. That, the idea of an air cargo hub, the idea, we didn't come up with the air taxi, we can't claim that one, but that's interesting, especially as we hear a lot of talk about the Ryder Cup and the past. Oh yeah, you know? yeah. And, um, I suppose they, they, they have, uh, by reading the article, they have, they have uh, done more targets in the, the Ryder Cup for, yeah. for the, these um, uh, small um, uh, helicopters. Do you know that if you're living up in, you have somebody living in Ormore, haven't you? Yes, and or near it. Anyway. And isn't it possible in Ormore to order your stuff, your household yeah. stuff, yeah. and have it delivered by drone? Yeah, well, I'm, I've heard of it. I, my daughter hasn't had a, hasn't done it yet. But she's aware of it. Yeah. She was she was talking about oh, it. And yes. you can get the fish and chips, John. Uh, Are you serious? Or, or, or pizza. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, they'll yeah. be still warm by the time that you get them. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> okay. Listen, we've reached half time, and the uh, so Pat O'Brien is about to blow the whistle. <laughs> Uh, before we get to half time, Parik, I know you're you have to go at this stage. Uh, in the programme. Listen, many thanks for coming on and having a chat with us here. It's always good to talk to you. We're always delighted and hopefully you can uh, you can join us around the table and uh, we'll have some more tea and coffee and buns when the when the recording is over. Yeah. No problem, lads. I think you, you provide the best tea and buns and coffee and all of these players, so I'll have to, I'll have to come back. Parik, thanks <laughs> very much Parik. and good luck again with the, with the premium uh, with that subscription uh, offer that you have. Thanks very much, guys. Okay, Parik, God bless. So, Pat, what have you for us today to relax <laughs> at half-time? So, um, Mary Shapen Carpenter, she was 64 and won the last, and uh, we have Down at the Twist and Shout. So, down at the Twist, twist and Shout. We can show back the tables and, and, and don't, don't be a driving. What years are you talking about? Um, I, I don't know, John. I don't know. Oh, we'll okay. try and find out by the time we come back. <laughs> <laughs>
You're listening to local media here on Scariff Bay Community Radio and Pat's choice for the break was Mary Shapin Carpenter and Down at the Twist and Shout from 1991, did we say? 1991, somebody looked it up during the break. You can sit back in your chair now, Janice, and uh, give over the twisting when the music <laughs> is over. Uh, yes. Um, I, I see Pat O'Brien is sitting there looking at the clear echo. And uh, uh, he's looking at it quite intensely. He is, for sure. Yes, and yeah. um, it's it's the it's a page of photographs. It's a most beautiful page, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, the Burn Burn Gale celebrate Dublin win. Um, there's a lovely looking group of girls here from North Clare, uh, and the Burn Gale celebrates our success with many presentation at the Clare LGFA Division Two League Champions and Clare the Major Football Champions for 2021. What did they win? They won the Clare Intermediate foot, uh, Football Championship and uh, and, uh, the, and the league as well. They uh, won the league and the yeah. and the county. Would they win the fashion show as well? If well, they would. Yeah, they're, 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 they're fine looking girls. Eh, man? They're, are they are the twenty something fellas up on our Clare? But you know, isn't it great to see? Absolutely. I mean, to see the. the you know the the yeah. the ladies because for too many years, yeah. you know there wasn't a word about anything that that no. girls would win, yeah. and Camogie was seen as the pu- poor relation and ladies football, right. but that has changed remarkably. What's going to happen tomorrow night? Tomorrow night is is, is uh, uh, Congress, isn't it? In the G. Yes, but this yeah, weekend. Yeah. This well, weekend. maybe it'll have been decided by the time this show goes out. Yeah. But uh, absolutely. Yeah. So I mean, the amalgamation of the ladies' football and the ladies' camogie with the G- the GA general. Yes. And it's been driven by fair play. It's been driven by the the Gaelic uh, players, the Gaelic players mm. association. That's good. But if you know, I, I the way I look at it is this: the the camogie. Uh, association. Yeah. By and large, they they don't have fields or they don't have pitches. Mm. They have some. I mean, the, there's a clear pitch in Father McNamara Park, and there's one in oh, Shannon that Shannon, I know yeah. of. Um, mm. But I mean, clubs don't have their own pitches. They're all hurling or Gaelic football p- club pitches. But you know, these girls who play Gaelic football, they're the daughters of GA members. They're the sisters of GA members. They go out fundraising for GA events. Mm. So I, I think it's, it, it would make perfect sense to have the, the camogie players and the ladies footballers and the GA all in the one organisation. Then suddenly the camogie um, association or the camogie family yes. have an equal ownership of pitches right around the country. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, well, I'd say in, in most cases, I suppose the wintertime is difficult to uh, in most cases, I said, our, our club now, um, we facilitate the, the camogie uh, when they look for the pitch. They, they, we have two pitches and they get them and, you know, they, and they, they, they take the train. But I'd say, possibly this time of the year, pitches are very scales and Dude. when you have bad weather, John, a lot of so, demand. So there's always demand, so yeah. you probably need uh, maybe a lot more of the, and uh, maybe a little pictures yeah. like even like outside here and yeah. you know yeah, um, yeah. beyond with them yeah. but I suppose if they were all part of one organisation the, the ladies footballers or the camogie players wouldn't have to ask for the pitches no, exactly. manager, yeah. you know they, they would be part of the ownership yeah. and yeah. They, they would combined with everybody else would decide who what pitches are used how often they're used etc it's a, it's a know? great great move yeah, those, it is yeah those fine photos and the one in the front of the paper as well and the Clare Champion cover, cover there uh, there's a good two photos and the Clare Champion will have those girls as well yeah. so we congratulate them on their win absolutely anyway look uh, we're and going Jim and, 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 and the Camogie we may have to come as a race with, with Scarlet the way, the, way, the way it went on at the weekend and um, mm. they'll, they'll come back stronger again I said you know they were up in a very experienced team and They'll, they'll come back. They'll come back from again. They were, and the I mean, the, the conditions suited the other team okay, yeah, well, more. I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm, you know, they they may well have won irrespective of the conditions. Yes, um, yes. But but certainly the 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 younger, lighter Scarafogunlo players tended to almost bounce off the yeah. some of the more established players yeah, on that. And and it, you know, you get a trend in a game then, and you get yeah. momentum, and you know, it it. It goes for you or yes, goes against yes, you. Yes. They, have six, they have six Leinster clubs, one and, and, and three All Ireland clubs. Mm. 
But I mean, yeah. our the the girls from from East Clare were absolutely fantastic, yeah. and and it's been a great year, maybe. It's been a great year for them, and we're we'll stay in East Clare for this an old stomping ground of Mount Mine, and that's Mount Shannon's ambitious plan. Fiona McGarry has a story there on page eleven, on the East Clare page. And uh, it shows uh, Joanne Dunphy Allen and Clara Cashman, and they're um, from Mount Shannon Community Council, and they're uh, they're in the centre of the Aster area, in which is a lovely spot. We we broadcast live from there in September when I think they had a, a trad weekend, and from exactly that uh, place in the photograph there. Um, where the circle was, there was a, some kind of a covering there. But I mean, they're looking to have uh, the planning permission for a pavilion in the Ashton Park. Yeah, and Jim, Luke and myself were talking about this earlier before we went on air. And it's, I think, fiercely interesting to notice how communities right across County Clare, I, I'm sure it's probably not confined to Clare at all, but uh, Clare. Uh, represents probably the, the wider trends in Irish society. But the, what I'm getting at is that communities are looking at the facilities they have to offer and also conscious that we live in a particular kind of a climatic conditions and that therefore the need for coverage, I mean for actual shelter, actual yeah. coverage, coverage yeah, yeah, is yeah. increasingly being recognised by uh, communities and also, of course, then government giving funding, making funding available. So, I mean, County Clare, I mean, East Clare, our own East Clare, is extraordinary in the developments that are, have taken place and are about to take place on this kind of issue. Isn't oh, right? yeah, between indoor astroturfs and, yeah. and various facilities yeah. that are, that are, the, I mean, the Ashter, I have to think back to um, Patsy Donlan, yes. back in the, yes. I'd say maybe the 80s, the 80s into yeah. the 90s, yeah. you know, who spearheaded and had a vision for this facility uh, when a field became available in the centre of Mount Shannon. And not everyone agreed with her. Some people thought maybe we should put a, a hurling pitch in it or a soccer yes, pitch yes, or whatever. Yes, and there yes. was a soccer pitch in it at one stage. But, you know, it's, it's a space now for the entire community. And for public performance. For public performance. shelter. Uh, there's a playground in it. Yeah. And, but it's a fabulous place, literally, to wander around. Yeah, yeah, and it's, almost, con almost like, yeah, it's yeah. connected with the village. Mm -hmm. It's also connected with the harbour. So it's it's absolutely fabulous. So compliments to the local committee. Oh, without a doubt, very very much so. So that's um, that that's Mount Shannon. Uh, onto Tungreni, uh, Luke. There's a fundraiser this week. Now it's happened on Friday, but I'm sure people can still um, contribute. Oh well, it's uh, on as you said on page eleven there, and the, there's a quote. Uh, as the Harp Festival is run by a community of volunteers and is not for profit, we're organising the fundraiser to ensure we can deliver a wonderful welcome back Harp Festival this coming May in person to Tungraney Village. And it's basically uh, what used to be the Blossom Harp Festival has morphed into the Tungraney Harp Festival and it will be taking place in May and it's one of a very small number of events that take place around the country uh, to mark... I said, our national symbol, which yes. is the harp. Yeah. A lot of people don't like seeing a harp on an envelope if it comes in through yeah. the doors, but, but, <laughs> it, but it, it is a national uh, symbol. And we'll say th this has been, uh, you know, organised, we'll say, by the, the committee. There's a small group of people there in, in Tungreni that are, uh, uh, you know, spearheading it, and they've had a few very important uh, and well-known people that have uh, come in uh, to play in concerts uh, over previous years and there will be a gala concert on the Saturday evening that uh, you'll be able to go to in uh, the church and uh, there's competitions and it's not just uh, tied to the harp because there are workshops as well over the course of the weekend and uh, concertine and fiddle and a few other uh, instruments as well. So Luke, it takes money to run that. Uh, it well, it takes money to run everything, John. It does, yeah. <laughs> as, as we know here, it takes money to run a community uh, yeah. uh, radio station and, yeah. and it's literally, you know, the, the cost that you have, uh, say it's literally 
you know, public liability, insurance, you know, you have to pay for, you know, a few of the venues that you would be using and stuff like that as well. And uh, uh, a few, you know, a few of the the renowned people will say that would be coming, I'm sure they have to uh, sort of uh, get, get a little uh, stipend as well, you know, to, mm. to uh, uh, come and participate. But uh, it's going to be great to have, uh, you know, not going well, it'll be one of a number of events that are back up and running around East Clare and yeah. the country uh, as a whole. Uh, during the year, but uh, I would say uh, they've had one uh, fundraiser already in relation to it, and I know that they're going to have a table quiz in April. So uh, we'd uh, all support that. Uh, indeed, so, indeed, indeed. Yeah. You know, so, I, and, and I'm, I'm sure uh, Jim and John, you'll probably be broadcasting from it. I'm sure. Well, we've done it <laughs> before. Yeah, 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 we've, we've done it a few times actually. Yep. Yeah, and of course, um, Man is our, our, our colleague, yeah, heavily yeah. involved yeah. in it. So, uh, Luke. We've missed the actual fundraiser. Well, this one, on. but, but I'm sure there'll be a bucket inside the door of Nula's, uh, John, that you could throw a few uh, exactly. your, yours in into at some stage. Be, you know, they'll be they'll be welcomed. Yeah, and, and the, fe- the festival itself is taking place from the 13th to the 15th of May. Yeah. yeah. Well, above all, it's a, it's a lovely, lovely weekend, and it, we were we had Lizzie in the studio quite a lot, yes. uh, leading up to previous ones. And as I said, we we did broadcast from from the. Uh, from Tungrani, from I'd say from we went from Premier Lift, yes. maybe yep. uh, a few times. But uh, yeah, we'd we'd love to go over there that weekend. Yes. Um, okay, and so from Tungrani uh, back to Scariff, and I suppose in one sense a sad story, but you know a nice story as well. Uh, the 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 death occurred last year of Lasserina Kennedy, who was I think only seventeen years old. And uh, she was even she was an aspiring musician, even actress. She took part in the in the play that was recorded um, by the local group, which went out. But um, in her memory, uh, there's a the the credit union um, have given uh, a check for I think it says five thousand euro um, towards various charities. And this year it was the East Clare, Vincent Paul, and there's a photograph there of people from the credit union and from uh, Vincent Paul uh, and the passing over of the cheque. Mm-hmm. And it's called the Lasserina Helping Hand Fund. Isn't a lovely idea? And she used to have a jail, she used to have a jail on her own and she used to put her change into it and put it into the, into the, the credit union and then she'd send it off to some charity. Yes. And she'd put full up, so. Yes. Yeah. It's just, um, just a great thought, really, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah, young, young, young person. Absolutely. Um, on just one other thing, and we're, we're with that page again. Uh, again, Fiona McGarry had that story in, uh, of, of La Serena and of the Credit Union. And Jim, uh, just to, to mention that the, um, the Scarf Library are hosting Shakhtar uh, McGuilliga. Okay. Because Conan and Meg shopped in a Gaelga or Shul when we listen to it. I'm shocked that you're going. I'm shocked in Riv, Lala Fodrick. Oh, sure. So, they take this coffee or foil, my bull and two stock. It's a Laurelin. It's a Laurelin, yeah. There's a, a pop up Gaeltach going, going to be there around March, Quigul Law, Jog, the March. Sure. And Gatlar shocked in the Gaelga. Sure. All right, okay. I was Larlan the Scarafa, a cantilla olisha, all a mock. So since shocked in the Gaelic. So, Manuel Ak Bugani in Gaelga got his feather lat, you saw the wind, us. Sha. Sha. So, Goni, I just thought, Tanis Modini, her chimpanum and Balisha, a large PC Gaelic. You see. Ah, well. Yeah, you know, Goramakos. Goramakos. Ruddy Marshin. Ja. Oh, slow on the fall, Slow on the fall, so. Okay, Tasha Shin Gahuntak. Now we'll continue on. Uh, 
The Akinloo pedestrian crossing, I see Councillor Tony O'Brien is calling for an upgrade to the crossing on Abbey Street. And I know exactly where it is, but I never actually knew it was called Abbey Street before. Coming where is it? It's there outside the forge. Between the forge, I think, and Aldi. Do you know near, the near the Aldi store anyway? Yeah. Oh right, and, right, and right, super right, value. Right. All of those are there in one and there is yeah. a yeah. yeah. It's I, I remember you know outside when I was teaching in Mount Shannon, the council we wanted to to put up because the, the footpath was across the road. So when a lot of children came out to walk up the village or whatever, they had to go across the road to the footpath. And the council wanted to put up a pedestrian crossing with these yellow flashing lights. And um, we, we dug our heels in really and kind of insisted that they, they put up a proper pedestrian lights, which are user operated. You press a button and a red light comes on. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I was delighted we did because it's, um, it's much safer. Cars will stop when they see red. They will. Do you know, they tend to move. Yes. Where, whereas you wouldn't, you could be driving along and you wouldn't notice the yellow. Yeah. Yes. Do you know? But, Confusion, um, right. Anyway, that's the... Yeah, you're talking about speed limits there as well, Jim, uh, just on page four of the champion. Yeah. Uh, Kilnina speed limits sought, uh, Pat Hayes. Uh, speed limits for Kilnina have been sought by Councillor Hayes. He says uh, this is a very busy regional road with a number of very dangerous exits in this section of road. And then uh, Miss Madden, who is the lady that's uh, looking into, uh, uh, I suppose she's the lady in sort of, uh, Neve Madden, she's the senior executive engineer, who will say with the council. And she said the roads would be considered and, uh, quote, Clare County Council undertook a countrywide speed limit review in recent years, taking account of submissions from the public following the public consultation process, a written response stated. The outcome of this speed re review limit came into effect in uh, mid-2019. Very yeah. good. Mm. Yeah. Uh, it is a busy road, of course. I mean, it is. it's, it's it an is. awful lot of people mm. in East Clare use it, will say, to go to Galway. Yes. To go to Gork yes. and to go yes. to Galway. Uh, as as um, Porrick was saying there a while ago, an up and coming writer from East Clare uh, had a piece, not just in the Clare Echo, but in the Clare Champion as well, John. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Podrick O'Brien. And well, Anagut or Parik O'Brien. Oh, Parik O'Luban. Wilte Icalicon. Oh, hello. So, Parik or Pat, you had a piece in about J.P. Ganan. Yeah, I sent an article on the interview. He was a champion as well on page Very much involved in the, because we had him in here for the hurling shortly before he died. Yeah, J.P. was very much involved in the community and he, in hurling and. You could go to him uh, if there was some match played 40 years ago, he'd know who, who played it and who scored and who won it and all that kind of stuff, you know. And uh, he was a of singer as well, and uh, he was involved in a lot of different groups in, along the parish mm -hmm. and uh, played Holland with the Nielsen back in the 60s and early 70s. And, um, and uh, it was a great, he died suddenly there last year, so uh, we, we just put in a, 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 a tribute in there in the, in the papers this week. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we had him in here with Sean Hare and a few, and yeah. yourself, Pat, yeah. uh, shortly before he died. Shortly before he died, he was uh, here with us at the, at the, the sports programme, the history, you know, they the history of the, the history of O'Callaghan's Mills. And he was in with us mm. uh, at the history, the history of the club. Well, talking of history, we also have the Clare County Express here, and on page five of that, uh, the heading is Jimmy Smith, The Hurling Life, Set for March Launch. And of course, it's by Ollie Burns, uh, a history of, of, I remember, I'd say I was about five or six, uh, and I, my next door neighbour was called Paddy Sheehan, God be good to him. Mm -hmm. And Paddy used to do what Parik did at times, he used to report on matches for the low, for the Clare champion. And Paddy would always bring me with him, you see, and I'd yeah, sit yeah, beside yeah. him and he'd be jotting away on Sunday. And Scarif were playing Rouen. It wasn't the county final now, yeah. but I remember this ball come in and landed on the ground and Jimmy Smith pulled on it. Yeah. Well, it was a, it's like a whir. It's like a bullet. And I, you wouldn't see the ball go, yeah. and you see the net shake. Okay. Yeah. He was a strong man. He was a strong man, uh, you know, and a brilliant hurler. But um, I, I, those are the only memories I have of him now, because he, he was... Yeah, I think they have him to stay in it somewhere. He played for months, for, for, I think, 10 years. 
and he—he—he's—he's—he's—he's—he's the highest scorer uh, uh, in, in he has the record. Do, do you remember in provincial uh, a, a, match, a match between uh, Rouen and, and the Glen Rovers? He played in 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 uh, what what's the where Jimmy Smith in or, Rouen in Rouen yeah and Chris Ring playing yeah yeah for the, the Glen Rovers back about 1960 yeah 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 Ringy was still going strong or something yeah would he I mean uh, Ring would be a I Ring would be would have played with him would have played with him certainly against him yeah yeah, yeah and 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 the die yeah. and die and all that I mean people like you know um, Jimmy Smith will say. Um, who Tony Wall, Tony, yeah. uh, Liam Devaney, Philly Grimes of Waterford. All, yeah. all those, and he yeah, held yeah. his own in that. It, 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 yeah. Okay, I think we've reached the end of the show. The, t- the clock is against us. Yeah. Um, first of all, a big thank you to everybody for uh, your uh, coming in today and, and chatting with me about the papers. Thank you, John S. Welcome, James. Thank you, Pat. Thank you. Thank you, Luke. Nice, John. And a thank you to Parik as well, who joined us on the phone for the first part of the show. Yeah. So, Pat, you have uh, a piece of music to see us out. Yeah, well, this, this I say, we, we all, well, maybe Luke might remember, but myself and Jim, uh, I say John should remember. Luke is only young for that. <laughs> uh, Sandy Shaw, from the 60s. She was 75 on Saturday last. Really? Lovely. Yeah, so we'll yeah. have uh, Sandy Shaw and uh, Pat's Joyce puppet on a string. Many thanks to everybody and please God, we'll see you next Sunday. Goodbye and God bless. <laughs>